New week of the call up here, and we are checking off another team in the American League East as we continue to fly through these farm system breakdowns and talk about the top prospect rankings over at JustBaseball.com. It's the Boston Red Sox this time around. I'm Arm Waiten. He's Jack McMullen. And Jack, for those that are watching on YouTube, they can see it, your name is is Heim Bloom uh, on on the stream yard, like a little lower third for your portion of the video. It's funny in a way and almost frustrating and for, for Red Sox fans, I can imagine, because they're still trying to sort out what the front office situation is and and, you know, kind of what's going to happen now with the Craig Breslow era. I, I love the hiring there. I think he's a good fit. But I think what we're starting to see more and more of is that, you know, Heim Bloom's hands were probably tied because he did do a lot of good things with the farm system. We're going to talk about how this farm system has continuously gotten better and better. If there's one area where you could probably focus, it's okay. The pitching has been a bit deficient. Well, good thing you brought in the, the best guy for that in Breslow. He goes out and gets Richard Fitz. We'll talk about him as one of the better pitching prospects in the system, which is an indictment, but also good news, meaning that you added this guy for, you know, Alex Verdugo as well as some other pieces uh, that they got in return for Verdugo. But it's really fascinating to see the state of this farm. I'd say Heim did a really good job compiling some fun bats and drafting well with bats. And he kind of hands it off now to Breslow, whose job apparently is going to be, you know, obviously put a, a winner together at the big league level, but get some pitching throughout this system. There's a couple intriguing arms that you're hoping Breslow can develop. And then one that they just got, but it seems like that's going to be his job here. As we get into this Red Sox farm system, you'll see there's, there's some work to do on the pitching side. Yeah. And I mean, like whose system is this? It's, it's Heim Bloom's system, you know, like the Tigers system for the most part is still Al Avila's system. Actually, Scott Harris has had one draft and Max mm-hmm. Clark was the first round pick. McGonagall was this competitive balance round a pick. Like, that's the thing, man. It takes three years for a system to become that executive system. So for the next year or so, this system is going to be Heimblum's system. And Heimblum did a pretty solid job at identifying amateur talent, which which oh, you yeah. hinted on. And what do you need to do when your owner won't let you spend money? Like, sorry to immediately make this like negative negative on the Red Sox front. But what do you need to do when your owner will not allow you to swim in the ocean that is the free agent pool? you need to make sure that you hammer amateur scouting, whether it be through international free agency or early rounds of the draft. Marcelo Meyer, Kyle Teal, Roman Anthony, all first or second round picks. Then the IFA period, man, Wilkeman Gonzalez, um, Luis Perales, Sedan Rafaela was a $10,000 IFA guy. There are a ton of success stories here Mm -hmm. that are in the Red Sox system. Are they top 20 prospects in baseball? No, there's one of those. There might be three top 50 guys, but the depth in this system is actually pretty impressive for a team that was financially like maybe hamstrung. Oh, and, and, and kind of in this tweener phase where they could have traded some guys, they could have replenished the farm, you know, in terms of, of moving some players when we look at the last couple of years where they haven't been great. And instead they've, they've held Pat, you know, which is interesting. And you know, th- that's a just baseball show discussion in terms of just the entire state of the Red Sox. But what I will say is, you know, I-, I do really like the farm system. I do like the direction that the farm system is headed. And I think that's part of why the front office has been able to justify or, or ownership has really been able to justify. Hey, we don't need to push all the chips forward now because we have a wave of studs 
coming up. I hate that yep. justification, but I will say they do indeed have a wave of studs coming up. You mentioned Meyer, you mentioned Anthony, you mentioned Teal, who when we get to them, like especially Teal, I can't believe he fell to them. And then in the names to watch, you know, several lower level guys that have some upside that you're excited about the development side of things there. And then some arms that they've been able to add, whether it was via the rule five draft or some other, other pieces. So as always, you can follow along with the link in the episode description and and you can you know see see the rankings and all the write-ups on these players. But on top of that, you know, if you're on YouTube, we will share our screen now. Before we get into the names to watch, one important thing to to note, uh, Brainer Bonacci, uh, unfortunately not going to be ranked here as we just kind of wait for things to be sorted out. He's on the restricted list for violating minor league baseball's joint domestic violence, sexual assault, and child abuse policy. That obviously spills into the major league side of things as well. That was reported by Alex Spire of the Boston Globe and now has kind of been, you know, confirmed on multiple fronts. I was actually going to go out and into the Arizona Fall League right before I was there. He was actually pulled from the Fall League and put on that restricted list. So we'll, we'll wait for more info on that. But for now, we're just going to kind of leave him unranked and, and wait for things to be sorted out. I will say that if we were ranking him probably in that 11 to 15 range, he's a solid prospect. But again, much more important things to be kind of hashed out and and figured out uh, in, in the state of Brainer Bernacci and, and his forget his prospect status, just his professional status in general. That's the thing. You have no clue what the pro future of Bonacci is and just kind of peeking around the rest of the industry. Some outlets still have him in the top 15 Red Sox prospects and then other notable outlets leave him out entirely. So we we wanted to make sure that we acknowledged his presence as a quote unquote prospect. But, you know, we we don't know if this guy's ever going to play another professional game again. Um, again or he like could be way, right back. Like we don't know. Yeah. We yeah. Just, way we just too much know. has to be sorted out for us to make any sort of hypothesis on whether this guy's going to be putting on a Portland Sea Dogs uniform in yeah. 2024. A hundred percent. Jumping right in to the names to watch. It will start with a rule five pick. And uh, this was a rule five pick that got some serious steam Right before the Rule 5 draft, Justin Slayton was a relief prospect for the Texas Rangers. He was a starter that just wasn't really figuring it out. He was getting older. He's 26 years old now. He's coming off of his first full season working out of a bullpen, and he was dynamite. And this is the Carmen Majinski special where it was, okay, starting pitching prospect. You make the move to the bullpen and everything ticks up. He's a two-pitch mix, but low 90s turned into mid-90s, topping it around 97. Um, and then he's got a really strong slider to go with that. He's going to get every opportunity to to make his presence felt in the Red Sox bullpen. And it's Kenley Jansen and the rest right now. He might be one of their better relievers in 2024. I think he's going to be extremely valuable for them. Uh, I think this was probably the most intriguing arm selected. I've talked about it in, in the rule five and it was the Mets initially selecting him, then trading him to, to the Red Sox. But you, you mentioned the numbers, you mentioned how everything ticked up. He averaged 96 with the fastball once they started, you know, working him out of the bullpen and it's got good shape too. He averaged 19 inches of induced vertical break, minimal horizontal movement. And then also mixed in this cutter that looked like a well above average pitch and filled it you know, in the strike zone at a 71% clip. So you get a 40% chase on the cutter, fill it up in the strike zone, good swinging strike numbers, fastball that gets on guys and, and has clearly just been a, a bullying fastball, you know, as he's come out of the, the bullpen. And I think that alone on top of a sweeper that he's mixed in too, 
I think that that's enough to potentially go multi-inning in relief. He could even be a guy that like opens up for them if they need that, and they might need that, just knowing where, where the rotation could be. But Slayton just seems like a really good arm that should be able to thrive in, in any of a couple roles for this Red Sox team, and they needed a, a guy like that into the fold. And um, I'm excited to, to see what he's going to do for them because I, I do think he was the best arm taken in that rule five. Yeah. Uh, guy on the other end of the spectrum is Mikey Romero, 24th overall pick in 2022. That was in between Meyer and Teal's first round selections by the Red Sox. Romero is the runt of the litter. Unfortunately, he was dealing with a low back issue for the majority of the year. He was limited to like 30 games ish in that area. But it, it was not good when he was in low A. 23 games slash 217, 288, 304. I think there are a lot of questions about whether he can play shortstop in the upper minors and the big leagues or not. The answer is probably not. Uh, and there's also questions about offensive identity. It's like, okay, yeah. it's kind of well-rounded. It's almost like a subdued mire where it's like, all right, you're going to hit 30 homers. You're going to hit 300. Which one are you going to do? Answer might be neither. And like, that level might just be a, a, a firm step lower than Marcelo yeah. Meyer. And doesn't have the plus defense at shortstop to, to go with it as well. Still young, so a lot of things to be sorted out. But yeah, I think you've kind of hit the nail on the head where there's just too many questions right now uh, to be able to to really project him one way or another other than just hands up and say, hey, we got to wait and see. Most famous baseball alum from Orange Lutheran High School in the Anaheim area. Who is it? Oof. No, it's not idea. Cole Wynn, but Cole Wynn was an Orange Lutheran alum. <laughs> Garrett Cole, your side oh, wow. last year. Garrett Cole went to Orange nice. Lutheran. Uh, um, Dalton Rogers is a name that fascinated me. And I, I don't know if you got any look at, at him, but this is a guy that made the move from bullpen to starter after he was drafted. Tanner Hall and Hurston Waldrop were the one-two from hell in college baseball in 2022 at Southern Miss. Waldrop transferred to Florida. Hall got drafted. But Rodgers was the high-leverage arm after those two over the course of a weekend for Southern Miss, who ended up being, I think, one of the top 16 seeds in the country. They hosted a regional at least. Um, but Rodgers, he's 5'11". Fastball takes off like a rocket ship. And the Red Sox decided to transition him back into a starting role which he did at the juco level and opponents like did not touch him it's it's a fastball and that it's a, an okay slider change up but the fastball is going to play yeah so it, it's it's the the unique shape right low release height good carry uh from the left side like that's going to play so that fastball makes it interesting. But then you mentioned the secondary is kind of like lagging behind a little bit. And the command of the secondary has is, is, is been really inconsistent. I think part of the reason why he probably was pulled out of the rotation at points in his professional career. But the changeup plays really well off of it because hitters are so geared up for the fastball. So really good in zone whiff rates on the changeup. It's just can he you know be consistent enough with it? for it to play up as an above average pitch right now. The answer is kind of no, but it has shown some flashes of being able to do so. Ultimately, probably a reliever, but funky, lefty, fun, good fastball. Yeah, Should probably be able to, to find a way, find his way to the big leagues one way or another. Yeah. Uh, Edinson Paulino, another guy that I, I know was, there was a hive around him because he was a higher priced IFA guy. Did you think he was going to hit for this much power? Like he, he is a, a 10 to 15 homer threat. It seems he's still a small guy. 
Uh, I guess whiff questions are, are there now when they weren't at the beginning and he didn't get on base at a high clip this past year, but he slugged more than I guess I was expecting him to slug. And he is a threat for 25 bags over the course of a given year. Yeah, it's, it's a fun player. I definitely was not expecting, I think, the slug the way that we, we saw it, you know, just even to be over 400. I, th- I think he's one of those guys that you kind of expect to to be hit over over power. But as you mentioned, like more whiff than you'd expect too. And I'd probably prefer to have it be more so in the uh, hit over power department because, you know, the underlying EVs, the 90th percentile still only 100 miles an hour. Uh, he was able to lift the ball to the pull side and get into some to his pull side. And that's how he tapped into a little bit more in-game juice but his game is doubles and he had 30 of them last year and you know, hopefully he's able to kind of rein in you know the, the swing and miss especially against breaking balls breaking balls seem to really give him some trouble so if he can rein that in a little bit uh you know make some more consistent contact then maybe that that uptick in power that we've seen ever so slightly can you know start to, to play up a little bit more and be more of a uh, a positive thing but right now i just i think he's kind of stuck in between which is tough but he's only 21 so still just being 21 years old, uh, plenty of time to continue to, to develop and work through things and still a little bit of room for projection there physically, too. So still intriguing, but it definitely has some some things he needs to work through. Do you remember the name Jose Veras? Of course. OK, so remember, he had one pitch. He yes. would just spin breaking ball, breaking ball, breaking ball, breaking ball. And it took until the ALCS in 2013 for someone to really do damage against it. And that. I think was Shane Victorino's grand slam over the monster. Mm-hmm. But that's exactly what your Donnie Monegro could be. He <laughs> could just ride his curveball to one inning relief spurts. And like I was I was doing the YouTube search and I was on the research portal and I was on baseball reference and I was like, this guy's just Jose Veras, isn't he? And like I, I think the answer might be yes. He had a great year this past year, 93 punch outs, 65 and two-thirds as a starter. Because the fastball was good enough, but it's the curveball that's going to get him to the big leagues. It's funny. You want to hear the, the pitch usage breakdown here? Um, yes. It's it's pretty wild. And it could be conflating the two fastballs. Like It might be one fastball that just has like a wide range of, of shape. But regardless, it's still pretty wild to to kind of look at it this way. And, and I think you're spot on with the comparison because – he threw his curveball more than any other pitch. 29% usage on the curveball, 28% usage on the slider, 25% usage on a sinker, and then 20% usage on a four-seamer. So again, those I have to, I'd have to see the, the individual shapes a little bit more, which I'll pull up in a second here. But the curveball and slider were, were disgusting. And to your point, like those are both plus pitches comfortably, especially the curveball. Opponents were 9 for 93 against it this past year with 58 punch-outs. You're just not going to hit that thing. It's disgusting depth, like late break. No one could really square it up. It's just whether he gets you to chase it or not. Even when he hangs it, guys were whiffing it. And then the sliders are a really good pitch as well. So yeah, he could legitimately just go curveball slider and consistently throw those pitches. What helps him too is that the slider is actually his best uh, pitch from a strike perspective. 66% strike rate on, on the slider. Whereas you look at the, the curveball sub 60, sinker sub 60, fastball sub 60. So that's something that's really interesting and, and interesting to follow. He's going to be a reliever ultimately, but he could be a damn good one uh, with, with that kind of stuff with the breaking balls. I think the Rays narrative is is a bit overblown. It's like, hey, anybody that the Rays trade for in terms of a relief role, they're just going to turn into an all-star. If this guy is ever a Tampa Bay Ray, 
I'm buying all the stock in the world in him because like they're just going to tell him to do the spin thing literally every time a la Matt Whistler in 2022. Yeah, and and that'll play. And I will say, so those are two definitely different fastballs. So I wonder if they just tell him to scrap one of those heaters too. Just go straight with the sinker, uh, and you know, occasionally, occasionally buzz the four seamer up, and maybe he's able to fill the zone up a little bit more, get ground balls there, and then the curveball yeah. and the slider. He could be a multi inning relief guy, but I think this could be a high leverage arm. He's just twenty one years old. He's gonna be twenty one for the duration of the season as well. He's six yeah. four. So if the command can get a little bit better. It's a really fascinating player. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to be a YouTube baseball star as a tween or a teen, but that's what Blaze Jordan was. I think he won a home run derby when he was 11. And then when he was like 13 or 14, he had a 500 foot home run in Tampa. And yeah. that went mega viral. And he was the social media sensation before that was really a thing. That's a lot of pressure on that guy. He just turned 21. Feels like he's been a prospect forever at this point. And he literally just turned 21 in December. Um, Blaze Jordan is, I, I guess, kind of a first baseman masquerading as a third baseman right now. Like he, he really lacks a true defensive home. He hasn't hit 25 homers in a minor league season yet. I think everybody was expecting that after he was drafted. But strikeouts are really not a thing for him, which yeah. is fascinating. He hit 296 this past year between high A and double A. And I mean, he is, he's had to mature right quick. He he opened up about some serious anxiety issues that he was dealing with this past year. Um, man, like I think this guy's narrative is, is changing in a good way for him. It is. I don't want to compare it to Jason Dominguez because Dominguez is still like a top, 30 prospect in baseball, just in a different way than the Martian was tabbed to be. But Blaze Jordan is like a different type of hitter than everybody was expecting when he was drafted. It's still a good hitter. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and also really, really special for him to, to open up on that stuff too, because I mean, you know, you talked about the internet sensation side of things too. Like he, he, he didn't really ask for those things particularly. It wasn't like, you know, he was, he was, I, I don't think anybody really would have expected that kind of rise that he had, but again, he was just ahead of everybody else. And then he had the most marketable name ever, which made it really fun too. like blaze Jordan like that. And then you say, Oh, blaze Jordan hits bombs. Like you're going to remember that name. Uh, and I think that probably just just the buildup of of his entire adolescence. And I think he reclassified and I think there was a lot of pressure on him. And then you know, not quite the draft prospect that some people were hoping, but still a really solid draft prospect. And the Red Sox pointed up to get him. But I just feel like there's always been a lot of pressure on him. And, and, and he's had some unfair expectations relative to a lot of other players because of the fanfare around him. So uh, I think really. Uh, eye-opening and, and and great when 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 players can share their experience and, and talk about some of the things that they're overcoming. And what's what's also wild is that Blaze has really hit at every stop. Like you wouldn't know that he's he was dealing with some of those those challenges uh, if you looked at, at his production on the field. And uh, the the thing with that is you know, he is a totally different player, I think, than than what we were expecting in terms of the bat to ball is good. It's it's really good. I'd almost rather see him sell out for power a little bit more. He's aggressive. And I'd almost rather him be more selective, sell out for pop. And look, if he whiffs a little bit more, he whiffs a little bit more. Because right now he's aggressive. He hits the ball pretty hard, but it's on the ground too frequently. And he makes you know a fair amount of contact. So right now there's just a lot of pressure on when he does make contact. It, 
again, having it be somewhere in the gaps and somewhere impactful because he's swinging a lot and it's on the ground a lot. So that said, it was his age 20 season last year and he yeah. got up to double A and, and finished strong and, and held his own. And I honestly struggled between Blaze and then we'll get to number 15 in a moment uh, and Nathan Hickey and just trying to figure out who gets the nod. Blaze's limitations, like I don't think he's going to play third. He's probably going to have to move over to first, and that's pretty much what he's already doing. He played a lot more first down the stretch anyways. Right. That played a a factor in there, but Hickey also is like a fringy catcher at best. So it was hard for me to rank those guys, but I would say Blaze was was right there, you know, knocking on the door at 15 when you consider the youth, uh, the bat to ball being better than anybody expected. And, and just good production at every stop so far, uh, despite being younger than than most of his his competition. Yeah, uh, a couple more names. David Hamilton got a big league uh, audition last year. It didn't go well at all, but I will tell you that the last couple years in the minor leagues have gone exceptionally well for him. He's swiping a bunch of bags, 127 bases in 220 games, 127 stolen bases in the last two years. And in the last 220 games, 29 homers was never expecting 29 homers from a speedster. He can play multiple spots. Can he play him at an elite level? Not necessarily. Um, Was he a better shortstop option than Bobby Dahlbeck at the time? Yes, he was. Was he a better shortstop option than a a Yu Chang or a Pablo Reyes? Probably. Yeah. I, I think he's probably best as a utility bench guy that can be a pinch runner in late game situations, but that's a name to watch. Oh, no doubt. I mean, he walks too, which is important. And he puts bat on ball. He likes to get deep in counts. And I think that's why the strikeout rates higher than you'd expect, but he he is not really a huge whiff guy struggles against secondaries a little bit. It's almost like this, uh, John birdie starter kit a little bit, you know, where it's just the speed, the ability to play all over, uh, and and surprise you a little bit with some impact. And and I think that's what Hamilton does. You'd be surprised sometimes with his ability to run into baseballs. He'll definitely be a 40-man guy for for a while, and he'll definitely be a guy that I think uh, can be a solid bench piece if he can hit enough. Yeah. Um, Alan Castro, I don't have much on him. I will just tell you that like he was pretty good in two months in high A, and you combine the numbers between low A and high A, you, he walked a lot. So what, 261 batting average with a 368 OBP, high efficiency base dealer, had a couple of homers. Like it, it's just, is it 50s across the board? Like it might just be that kind of guy. No, I think it's super interesting. Like I think it could be something along those lines. He's got some projection. He's still not even 21 years old yet. Switch hitter. Underlying data looks pretty good. This is another guy that was like right at the edge of that top 15 and definitely a name that I think could be in the top 15 after this coming season uh, with a little bit more experience under his belt and presumably his second taste of high A. I, I do wonder if they're going to sign him to double. I think they'll probably sign him to high A again. He looked pretty good out there, man. And and I think this could be somebody that is is definitely a name to watch in the system as we go into 24. Probably one of the, the higher upside guys that we've talked about in this portion. Yeah, two more. This guy fascinates me. Chicks dig the long ball. Chicks should dig Brooks Brandon. Um, freak show. Do you have some of the EVs? Like 20 homers, 91 driven in in 34 games his senior year of high school. Like, I can't imagine. that. <laughs> That's insane. And he was like, he wasn't in Wyoming. He was in North Carolina. I don't even think Wyoming has high school baseball. He wasn't in Montana. He was in North Carolina. Last year, complex and low A, 17 games. Six homers. 
He's 19 yeah. years old. He broke his dad's high school record for prep homers in North Carolina. Like That's he crazy. was born to hit nukes. Um, yeah. Do you have some of the EVs? I'm sure they're insane already. Yeah. 110 already at the complex. And he's 19. I mean, yeah. That was as 18, go, probably almost just turning 19. So yeah, this dude, this dude hits bombs. <laughs> I, I, I'm excited to see a full season of him. Uh, 90th yeah. percentile is small sample, but a 90th percentile in those 17 games of 106 miles an hour. <laughs> so yeah, like, holy he, he's running into balls. Yeah, it's insane. And then last guy is on hell Bastardo, uh, right hander in double A. He's got a bunch of pitches that are good and they generate success. Question is, is he going to be in the strike zone at all times? The answer was no. Last year, the answer was no in 2022, which in turn results in like an ERA at four or five each of the last two years. But the punch outs are there and he did throw about 120 innings. Um, So like he is a guy that could be a plug and play starter if shit hits the fan. And it has the last couple of years in Boston. Yeah. And when it's around the zone, it's really good. He had a, he had a start this past year, seven innings shut out, 14 Ks against Asheville, which was a, which was a good lineup. That's the, the high affiliate for the Astros. And that was when I think Oberfito and and uh and Melton were Drew still Gilbert. there. And and Drew Gilbert might have even still been there. I'm not sure. But Bastardo, it's it's interesting. I'm looking at like some of the whiff rates, change up slider and and curveball had swinging strike rates above 20%. Fastball kind of got got hit pretty hard. But this is definitely a name that is worth monitoring now this is like a, a perfect candidate for craig breslow and the new kind of pitching development system that they're going to have here and some of the new people that they have in the fold see if they can maximize a guy like this because he does have some of the things that you can't teach and does have at least a feel for for three solid secondaries so uh, again another name that just is, is worth monitoring going into 2024 and and has shouldered a pretty decent workload as you mentioned yeah time for the top 15 so this is where it was tough again, because I, you know, and I almost want to just talk this out with you because comparing blaze Jordan to Hickey, of course, Jordan's younger, but Nathan Hickey left-handed hitter still hope that he can get by at catcher, but there's some, some interesting numbers around that. And he's also put up some really good offensive numbers at pretty much every single stop. If you remember him at uni- the university of Florida, fifth round pick in 2021, this dude is hit pretty much at every stop, whether it be in high school, whether it be in college and, and whether it be now as, as a professional. Uh, I, I think it's it's one of those situations where it's bulk platoon, regardless. You're, you're not really putting him up against lefties. Uh, he, he does not hit lefties great at all. Demolishes righties. And we we saw him do that to the tune of you know 19 homers and 98 games between high A and double A and against righties specifically 18 of those 19 home runs. 277, 372, 530 slash line across the board. So really good stuff overall uh, when, when you see what he can do against right-handed pitching. I think it's above average power that he gets into games pretty consistently and a good enough field to hit patient approach. I, I think that offensive profile can play. The problem is he cannot really limit the run game at all. Um, it's rough. Jack, I, did you did you see that? Did you happen to see that number I put down there, at the bottom of the write up? Uh, no, I didn't. He threw out thirteen attempted base stealers out of a hundred and fifty-one. There were a hundred and fifty-one guys that tried stealing a base on him this year. If you include the Arizona Fall League, yes, that's like an absurd number in its own right. But that's that's a terrible clip. Yeah, he's stiff. He doesn't move great. 
but he doesn't look like a guy that you're like, why are we even bothering with him back there anymore? Like, he does block. All right. He receives fine. The catch and throw is definitely a problem. And he just doesn't seem to move great. You know, when it comes to, to being able to throw guys out, that is tough. I will say it did hurt him a lot in high A. I think the opponents were 37 for 37. And I will say that would probably have to do with the pitchers a little bit. He was a bit better in double A where he had that at like a 10% cot stealing, which is always going to be better than zero. But I do wonder if this is a a candidate to just move off of catcher, probably play first base slash DH slash catch in an emergency. And as a left-handed bat, who's put up great numbers in double A and walks and, and, and can really run into baseballs. Is that a guy that you'd rather have over blaze Jordan and with the chance of catching or is blaze Jordan, who's already stuck at first, but younger and better bat to ball skills from the right side, more intriguing. It's, it's tough. It's, I do think it's a toss up because we're not far removed from him being a better hitter in college on than Judd Fabian, who was on his team, who the Red Sox tried to grab in the second round didn't work in 2021. So Baltimore grabs it in 2020 in 2022. He was a better college hitter than Sterling Thompson, who was his teammate. Sterling Thompson with the Rockies was a better college hitter than Josh Rivera that year. Who was, if I'm not mistaken, first team all SEC this past year, Cubs draft pick. Uh, and then Wyatt Lankford went one for four with a punch out in 2021. That was his freshman year. But he was the best hitter on one of the best teams in college baseball, one of the best programs. They had a down year in 21. So I think I probably side with the guy that had SEC success when he was the focal point of a lineup over a 21 year old first baseman. So I I do think that you made the right stop too. every single minor stop. You raped. So the, the bat, the bat's never been the question. And if, if you view the hit, if you view the offensive profiles as washes between Hickey and blaze Jordan, you probably side with the guy that can at least like get in the squat and catch. Yes. And, and also has done it a little bit more double a and is a left-handed bat, but I will say, I think, I think blaze has a chance to be better. Uh, But if Hickey is even able to be half decent, like passable behind the dish, it's just a much better a more valuable prospect profile that way. Another catcher. This guy will have no problem sticking behind the dish. The question is offensively. Johan Fran Garcia, which is one of the best names, and his brother, who's also in the system, also has one of the best names in in the minor leagues as well. I'm not even going to try to say it. We'll we'll get there in a minute. But Johan Fran, he can catch plus arm, potentially plus plus, has no, I think he threw out around 32% of base stealers this past year, and he moves well. The receiving was really good. I mean, just super fluid, one move, stealing strikes, even balls that weren't even close. You could see just the way he was even able to make those and present those better than, than a lot of other catchers that are much older than him. He moves pretty well blocking-wise. They had him in the one leg position a lot, you know, that one or the one knee position a lot, which makes it a lot harder for guys to block. And and seeing that at the lower level and the way he was able to, to, to block overall was really impressive because there were some pitchers in that lower levels for the Red Sox who were just spraying balls and made it really hard for him. So it, it was impressive to watch him do his thing behind the dish. I think he projects as an above average defender. There's above average raw power, but there's a lot of moving parts in the box. He did at least showing off offensively, hit really well at the complex in the DSL, got a taste of low A in his age 18 season, 
but there's a lot of moving parts he's going to need to iron out. Uh, he looks a little bit rushed at times at the at the plate, but when he's on time and he catches one out front, you can see above average power. So above average power to dream on, above average defensive ability, fringy hit. There's so many good everyday catchers with that exact profile, but of course that is fringy hit at the big league level. Right now we're looking at fringy hit right now in the minors, so we'll see how it all kind of progresses but you can definitely see a backup catcher here with a chance with a chance of of being a starter if he makes some strides in the bats ball department so you combine the numbers i've got him at each stop like 179 plate appearances at the complex he had a 21 percent k rate but that bumped to 35 percent in 15 low a games do you have the cumulative k rate i can get that in about two seconds um, I, I'm just curious, like at, at what point, like at what threshold do you pallet? Okay. This guy's an everyday catcher. If the K rate is, is under like, is it a 27% K rate? Hey, if he's under that, I think he's got enough juice to like poke a few out and make it make sense. If he is an above average defensive catcher for him to be your everyday guy versus, okay, he runs a 30% K rate. He's our backup catcher. So it was accumulatively a 30 or 25% K rate, uh, I, I meant to say, but 30%, of course, over, as you mentioned, over the, the span of, of that low A promotion. But he was 18 and an 18 year old yeah. catcher going to full season ball, then also just trying to, to survive as a hitter. And I'm sure that they were focusing a lot on the catching side of things, too, for him working with those pitchers. So I think to answer that question, it depends on how much power you're hitting for. If you're swinging yeah. the bat in terms of tapping into 20 home run pop, and you're whiffing a 32% clip, but you play good defense, I don't care. But if you're hitting 10 to 12, 10 to 15 home runs, which I think is kind of the floor power-wise for him, then yeah, that strikeout rate's probably going to need to be a little bit lower. And, and the, the most important thing is going to be how good is the defense. And assuming that the defense is comfortably above average, I'm willing to weather that storm of what the offense looks like, but he's going to need to grow into more power because I think it's more likely that he is hitting 20 home runs than him hitting 260, 270. I think that's going to be a lot harder for him. So right. I think there's definitely a chance he's going to tap into to, to more pop as he continues to mature physically. He'll be 19 for the entire duration of this season. He just turned 19 a month ago. So this is a player to watch, though, because of the defensive ability already, because of the impact that you can pair with that. And we know catchers have nine lives, man, especially if you can defend he could figure it out at, at offensively at 26 <laughs> or 27 and still have a, had so many opportunities. And we see that so often with catchers. So he's definitely a guy you want to have in your system and a player to monitor. I do think it's probably going to be a rough offensive season for him unless he's made some, some changes to, to that, those pre-swing moves and that setup. But there's, there's a lot to like here and, and a high probability. I think of him at least being a backup. Uh, if you can find a Kmart Cal rally in a teenage catcher, that'd be awesome. Yeah, he's got he's got a lot more uh, bats of ball to 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 figure out, even even in a Cal Rally comp, and definitely more consistency in terms of hitting the ball in the air. But again, I mean, you, Cal you, Rally, can, you can find some. Yeah, Raleigh's a twenty eight percent K rate guy. Like he punches yeah. out a lot. I know, and so it, but the thing is, is he hits it hard and in the air, and right. he walks a ton. So that those will be the things that you just try to massage that offensive profile, see where it all settles in and then see what he needs to lean into a little bit more. But most importantly, a solid defender. Chase Madroff, is, do you think that's right? I think Pronunciation? so. 
M-E-I-D-R-O-T-H. He's a fun, high floor, just solid piece. Really good feel to hit. It's comfortably above average. I mean, the, the contact rates are fantastic. There's sneaky pop to the pull side, but he's probably not going to be someone that hits more than eight to 10 home runs, but can hit you plenty of doubles. And he can play all over. He, he played mostly second base at UC San Diego. There's probably not enough arm strength and, and range to be an everyday shortstop defensively, but more than enough ability, both with the hands, with the feet, and, and just getting the ball out quickly to, to plug in at shortstop. And the Red Sox have also given him a run at third base, and then, of course, second as well. He seems like this utility infielder who can really put bat on ball. He's extremely patient, sub-20% chase rate. So a very high floor offensive profile, defensive versatility, just seems like a high probability big leaguer utility piece that you're always happy to have these guys in the 10 to 15 range in your system. He's 5'9", and he walks like he's 5'4". Um, yep. he's a small dude, man. Like he's, he's a compact dude, which you like, but he's never going to extend beyond his zone. And, you know, if you're a small guy, you either want Altuve who's ready to swing eye high and hit it into the Crawford boxes, or you want a guy that understands that he has a teensy tiny strike zone. And I think it's yep. abundantly clear that this guy understands that he has a teensy tiny strike zone. I think he also realizes that what he can do early in the count is not going to look too much different than what he can do later in the count. So he might look for one pitch and one spot that he can lift and, and he'll surprise you with some super sneaky power. But beyond that, he probably realizes, okay, what I'm going to do is spray line drives all over the field. So if it's not a pitch that I can really do damage on, I'm comfortable going deep into counts. And, and that's exactly what he does. And then when he gets deep into counts, he can still drive the ball you know, to all fields and pick up plenty of hits. Another guy that you look at the numbers at each stop, he's just put up really good numbers everywhere he's been. And it's a testament to just him being more advanced and having just enough impact to be that gap to gap guy that could fill in and and, and be solid and, and hit his weight, but probably projects best as this utility roving infielder. Yeah. Number 12, huge projection, which is a big reason why he got so much money, but also a big wait-and-see guy, Nazan Zanatello, which is one of the better names you're going to get, and a very projectable, projectable piece. So what, what he did on for Team USA, I think really ended up giving him a lot of helium going into the 23 draft, and he became a very popular name. And the Red Sox took him 50th overall, but gave him end-of-first-round money with a, a $3 million signing bonus. That... It's pretty indicative of, of what the Red Sox think he can be. And, and the Red Sox have drafted pretty well in, in recent years. But when you look at Zanatello, limited video, only was able to get into so much with him. But what I was able to see is a swing that is very, very raw and some defensive abilities that are very raw. But on top of that, or on the positive side, you could see the potential for above average defense, a great arm, really quick feet, a guy that all this, every once in a while you look at and you're like, oh, wow, okay, this guy looks like he can be a very good shortstop. And then there's a routine play that that looks harder than it should. It's okay. He was 18 years old and, and I think still is 18 years old. At the plate, it's a very raw swing and setup as well. Like it, it just it seems like he's still just trying to get the feel for things and find what works for him. But when he did connect, you saw some impact. You saw wiry strength, and then you could see a ton of projection there too. There's potential for above average power, above average defense at shortstop, 
and above average speed, where even if the hit tool is fringy at the shortstop position, that's a valuable player. Yeah, he he was fascinating because like I knew nothing about him on draft day. And and we saw that and it was like, oh, project for sure. I still know nothing about him. And like the complex didn't help at all because he hit what, like a buck fifty and eight yeah. games or something yeah yeah so i can't yeah i can't assist anywhere except he looks like a, a freak of an 18 year old and there's a reason that he was he was committed to miami for a long time and then i think he flipped to arkansas is that right um like it, it was yes. weird and and this guy like i don't know man he's just he's big strong 18 year old and i i just want to see him play on video because I've only seen like two clips and they were during his selection. So the the fun part about it is they get Kyle Teal, who we'll get to in the first round, and they probably say, okay, this is such a high four guy. We feel really good about his chances of of sticking a catcher and being a piece for us that they swung for the fences with, with that second round pick going with first yeah. round money. And, and I like that. We'll see how it goes. They've done a good job with their hitters over the last few years. Roman Anthony, we talked about it. Not nearly as Roman Anthony was a lot more polished than Zanatello, but there were some things with Roman Anthony where saying, okay, he needs to hit the ball in the air more. He needs to do certain things more. He needs to clean up the swing a little bit. Even Marcelo Meyer, very polished relative to, to most players his age, but they did help him kind of figure some things out and, and smooth some things out. I'm very excited to see what it looks like with Zanatello, but there's definitely going to need to be some overhauling with that swing and, and some of those things. But the unteachables, he's got them. And that's why he got a $3 million payday. Uh, to forego that commitment to Arkansas. Looks like a really fun player, too, uh, when you see the way he kind of plays the game and and the way he carries himself. So definitely someone that I think the Red Sox were excited to be able to sign away from that commitment. Number 11. And I think you, you, you could have made a strong case for him at number 10 when we get into the top 10 because of just how safe of an arm he is. Richard Fitz, right-hander, the rare Yankees-Red Sox swap. And I think... I think the reason why the Yankees were okay with trading Fitz was okay, they, they get Alex Verdugo. He's going to be a guy that that helps them. They needed a player like that. You add it to their lineup. Good bat to ball. Left-handed stick. It can, can play you know, the outfield at least better than some of the other options that they had. But you look at the Yankees. They say, okay, we're going to have to give to get. So we're going to have to give up a decent pitching prospect. There's probably some other prospects with higher upside, lower floor that, that they probably could have given up instead. And the Red Sox, for them to want to trade with the Yankees and give them Verdugo, they're going to want a decent prospect in return as well. So the Red Sox probably wanted some higher profile pieces and ended up settling here. I think the only reason why the Yankees were okay with parting with Fitz is that you're not going to you're not going to lose sleep over trading him if he becomes that number five starter, which I think he has a very high chance of becoming. Right, but. I think if you're the Red Sox, you feel really good that you got a Richard Fitz in a deal like this because he's a high probability big league arm and you got him for for a guy that you were hoping to dump anyways. Uh, is a little bit expensive financially. Is going to be a free agent after this year. And for them, I think they felt like, all right, the Yankees might not lose sleep over Fitz you know, because he's kind of capped off at like a number four at the absolute best case scenario. Right. But I feel really good about his chances of being a number five. And the Red Sox needed guys like that. And he could be a number five for them as soon as midway of, of this coming season. Yeah. At the time of the deal, he was clearly below a Thorpe, who's now in San Diego. That Soto deal happened after the fact. He was probably below Johnny Brito, still on the pecking order, 
was he if you were to like blind resume Luis Vasquez and Richard Fitz, who would you choose? I mean, Randy Vasquez or Randy Vasquez. Sorry, I would take Fitz. So but like it's kind of it's kind of close, right? So, yeah, they're all in that same tier and range. That's the thing. But like Brito, Fitz and Vasquez were a tier below Thorpe at the time. Warren, Chase Hampton, Selvage is probably a notch. Yeah, like Selvage is probably also in that Fitz range. I'd say Beater is above Fitz. Like they they have a bunch of guys that could end up working as back of the rotation guys. And he is great depth. Like when you say, hey, look at how many of these we have. He's an awesome name. And it's not like, hey, he doesn't belong there. But he was clearly surplus in that. Problem is or benefit is the Red Sox needed some of that. So instead of two, they got one and then they got a couple of other projects. They needed a Richard Fitz in the worst way. Uh, This is somebody that I think that this system really was lacking. So we're going to get to the two pitching prospects who are ranked higher. And they're the opposite of Richard Fitz where Fitz, I feel very confident that even if he's not consistent enough to be that, you know, everyday fifth right away, He's someone that can fill in for you and, and eat innings and, and keep you afloat. I, I feel like the floor is still going to be a, a fringe five guy, but I feel pretty confident that he can be a, a comfortably solid five number five starter because you have a fastball that it's, it's, it's an average heater, but an average big league heater is important, right? It's not, Oh, it could be average or projects as average. It is right now an average big league heater that, helps a lot especially when you have a plus slider and you have above average command the plus slider he just has such a good feel for fills up the zone at a 71 percent clip with it left right up down like he will put it kind of wherever he wants and it works well off of the fastball that has some sneaky carry to it at 93 to 95 so you have that fastball that's big league average sets the tone for you and then you have a slider that's plus that you command really well that you can throw to righties and lefties and then the changeup really took a step forward last year. It's it's an average pitch at best, but against lefties, which is he doesn't throw it at all to righties. It's firm. It's only about six seven degrees or six seven miles per hour separation. But as a kind of he splits it evenly against lefties with the slider. It just allows him to give another look. It has enough separation in terms of movement and action from the fastball that it's an average third pitch against lefties. That's fine. And then he makes in a cutter here and there to just change his looks. I think that's a good enough arsenal to change enough looks to not be too dependent on the slider. The fastball is good enough to, to survive hitters counts. And the command is really, really solid. He handled a huge workload last year. Huge. He's, he's a five starter for me. I think as soon as the back half of this year, and I think he can hold his own and be that mid fours guy for you, eat plenty of innings and, and just be a, a safe arm. 153 innings in double a he was the eastern league pitcher of the year so like he was he was very successful over those 153 innings but the fact that you just saw over 150 innings from a guy in double a like oh my gosh man you have to be over the moon knowing that you got a guy that if healthy is gonna run out there and has the shot to give you seven every night and the velocity didn't wane at all going even deep into the season over the final five starts, not even down a decimal point in terms of average fastball velocity. So six, three, 200. And I got to update the weight here, 225, 30 pounds. He can just handle a workload 
And that's a big thing that you're looking for when a guy's not going to have this sexy strikeout appeal or keep runs off the board to be a you know sub four ERA guy probably. Uh, eat innings. That's extremely valuable. We see that in today's game more than and more than ever. We're going to get into the top ten in a moment here, which starts with Nick York. But before that, a quick break. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money at now into the top 10, and it's Nick York. What a roller coaster ride it has been for the former first round pick 2020, who, when he was selected, it was who's that guy? Then it quickly became, oh, Nick York is, is a steal. This guy's a dog. He had one of the better minor league seasons we saw in 2021. Then 2022, very injury riddled, very frustrating year for him, struggles mightily. Then 2023, Reemerges at the most challenging level of his career. First taste of double A, plays the whole season in double A, and held his own. A high 700s OPS and put up some some decent numbers across the board. More importantly, stayed healthy. Some of the underlying data looks better. Here's my thing with York, and I sent you a video I put together. I'm going to put it out on Twitter. By the time people are listening to this, it'll be up on Twitter. I found like five different setups, extremely different setups from him since the start of the 2022 season. I think part of that was battling injuries and trying to, 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 to find feels that he had lost. Yeah. And I like a hitter that's willing to adjust. And I like a hitter that's willing to tinker with feels, especially a young guy like him that doesn't need to just force his way to the big leagues as soon as possible. Find what works. Try, try, try to figure things out. But the amount at which I saw him adjusting and tinkering and changing was a little bit concerning. Right There, there, there becomes a, a tipping point to that scale. And it's like, this guy's not finding feels he's searching for feels and it felt like he was searching quite often it is worth noting that him being healthy even while searching this year resulted in much higher offensive production because he was still making changes as frequently as he was making in 2022 the difference this year is that he was healthy we saw him in 2021 with his hands relaxed in front of him then we saw him in the arizona fall league with his hands back up over his head and then we saw him with his hands even further back and the barrel pointed downwards, almost Paul Goldschmidt style, to get him this feel of his hands and his leg in rhythm and getting into his spot. But it became harder for him to time that up, and fastballs started to get on him a lot quicker, and he started to whiff at the top third of the zone more. So then he brings it back down to a middle point, and even then he was caught in between. So then now he's closer to what he was in 2021, what he was doing in 2021, except his hands are further out in front of him more and and still a little bit higher. So he's found this middle ground, I guess, of, of all of the changes that we've seen. But there's been a lot of different Nick York looks over the last two years. And it seems like he's still trying to figure out what works best for him. You know, all that's left is the Rod Carew thing where you just you have your hands about hip <laughs> high and the bats parallel to the ground and all you have to do is like just swing even um he's he's fascinating and you sent me a text like i have no idea where york is like you just said idk and you never dk about prospects like 
ever. It's never, I don't know. It's like, let me go figure this out. Wait, I figured it out instead of, damn, I'm lost on this guy. And I, I texted you back. I was like, he was back like two months ago. <laughs> what happened? And, and I think it's this, like this happened and, and the inconsistencies happened. And you and I have both seen it firsthand. Guys that you watch on an everyday basis are different every day. And the industry is kind of understanding that this guy may be sort of different every day. Like he was baseball. America had him at 31 on their 2022 top 100. And then he was, I loved him. We had him high too. Dude. Like it was okay. First round pick in 2020, 2021 outside the top 100, 2022, a top 30 prospect in baseball, 2023 outside the top 100 all-star break of 2023 top 100 and now it's like maybe outside the top 100 it's so hot and cold with this guy who seems to be hot and cold in the batter's box every single day so like i i think everybody's just kind of pleading for a consistent nick york and then you'll have much more closure on what your thoughts on nick york are yeah and i gotta update the or grade here. I, I think he's going to grow into to, to average game power ultimately and, and be somewhere around around that range. But the challenge is, yeah, I don't know if if there's above average hit like we were hoping for in the beginning. And I think the fact that he's tinkering is kind of indicative of that. There is potentially above average power or at least average power that he can get into in games. But every time I would look at spans from when I saw him last take a, a swing with with setup A versus you know. I guess the first time he took a swing with setup A and the last time he took a swing with setup A, then the first time he took a swing with setup B and the last time he took a swing with setup B and try to compare the data and what maybe he was trying to achieve. And what I noticed was the more that his hands went up and back, the more he was able to drive the ball in the air and then get to a slot where he's able to create loft in his swing and do a little bit more damage. The, 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 the I think result of that was the more he also was rushed on fastballs up, the, the harder it was for him to time everything up. If a guy was quicker to the plate, really hard to get that barrel tip and that move going, and there'd be more whiff. Then when he got those hands back more relaxed, I'd see a guy that made more contact, but made less impact and put the ball on the ground more. And it was a flatter, it was a flatter path. So I just wonder if he can try to achieve the things that he's trying to achieve with the higher hands without such a dramatic change that that results in other aspects of his swing being negated. And I think that's what he tried to find with this hands a little bit higher and out front away from him. He struggled down the stretch, but it could have just been just trying to identify and get comfortable with the new feel. I do think that that could be the, the best avenue for him. The reason why he still only ranks at number 10 for me is, yeah, 116 WRC plus and double A is, is honestly really solid as a 21-year-old. But what does it all look like for Nick York? He's going to be an average defender at second base, most likely. You're going to hope for above average power. And that's a pipe dream. You're you're really hoping that he taps into all of that in games. And then can you really hope for much more than average hit at this point? Like maybe at best. So at the best case scenario, you're hoping for average or slightly above average hit, average or slightly above average power at second base. It's a weird profile that I just, I could see a path to a big league regular and, and, I, I'm really ranking him a little bit higher than some of these other guys because of he's only 21. There's time he's, he's been banged up and things like that. Maybe he can add a little bit more strength, but it's also hard to clearly envision a, an everyday big leaguer at this point, unless he makes some leaps in, in, in either the power or the hit department. It's, 
it's a puzzle that I have no idea. Like, I wish I could reach down to the floor and find the piece to the puzzle for you and be like, here, that's what it is. Or even for him. The, the one thing that I'm thinking is like, okay, we may have an answer a month into this season because you may watch every single pitch that he sees in the month of April, whether it be in Portland or Worcester. Hey, there's a chance that he's in Worcester. Like we're saying I think he's going to be in Worcester, by the way. That's the thing. Like we're saying all this, yet this guy had an 800 OPS in double A. Like he was good. He was way better than a guy that's six spots ahead of him. So that shows you that there's a ton of talent here. If he's in Worcester for a month and we get a 25 game sample under our belt, I'm going to ask you on, on May 1, I'm going to say, hey, how many different looks has Nick York given us? And if the answer is <laughs> one, you may have your answer on who that guy is and what yeah. the profile is going to look like, which is going to make you sleep way sounder about him. A hundred percent. Because again, like as you mentioned, the different looks that we get res- yielded different results. So it's, is it's, he going to try to be that hit over three different iterations of Nick York when you should only be looking at one, like everybody else it's okay. Who is this guy as a player with York? It's well, he's, this is this guy. He's, this is that guy. And then he's, this is that guy. Which is wild. Most hitters are not that malleable. Usually it's not like, oh, I changed my setup and now I hit way more fly balls like that instantly. But I had multiple like confirmations of it because he did it so many different times that I was able to get several different examples of of your changes from A to B and then B to C and then C to D and all kind of sharing some similarities. So it's going to be fun to to see how, how it all shakes out this coming year. But another player that... I can't wait to see what it looks like now you know, for, with a full season at the upper levels is Wilkeman Gonzalez. Nasty stuff. We know he's got some of the best stuff, not only in the system, but that you're going to find really in the minor leagues. Like he's up there with a lot of guys, especially outside of the top 100 list. I think it's up there with some of the best stuff you're going to find. It's a nasty, nasty fastball in terms of low release, exploding life to it uh, with, with good carry and, and seems to just get on hitters way quicker than they expect because of the way that he's able to just, I think just generate ridiculous arm speed. Then he has a hammer of a curveball working off of that, a change up that flashes above average and a cutter. The challenge is the command is, is not good, but the stuff was so good that the, the Red Sox were, Oh, we got to protect this guy from the rule five. And he probably would have been selected because of how nasty he is. You can't teach a lot of the things he can do. You can't teach a plus fastball curveball combination like this. You're hoping that he can find, the strike zone more consistently because there's three big league pitches here already. And you could argue that the cutter is at least a a passable fourth big league pitch, but the walks were just brutal. And I think the the curveball almost breaks too much to consistently land for a strike. That was a a challenge for him too. curveballs from that lower release that have that much break are so hard to consistently land for a strike. We talked about that with June, June suck shim and how he's probably gonna have to bring that release height up a little bit. And that, that seems to be the problem with Wilkeman, but the low release is what makes his stuff so hard to pick up and makes it so good. So he's just got to try to figure out how to land that curveball for a strike more frequently. But I think what's more, more likely is that this guy's a swing man and there's maybe not as much pressure on the ability to throw strikes. Yeah, so 25 starts this year between Greenville and Portland. He had seven where he allowed one walk or fewer. He had seven where he walked four guys. And that is not four or more. That's four exactly. He had a five walk outing. 
And then he had an outing on April 26, two and a third, three hits, seven walks, seven runs yeah. came in against him. So like, I just wonder, obviously the stuff is amazing. I just wonder, is he ever going to throw enough strikes to be a frontline guy? Because clearly if he found the strike zone with everything, there's frontline capability here because it's electric. But yeah, no, <laughs> that's why he's but number nine. Thing, so <laughs> but, but what's so frustrating about that is like, it's a, you think it's a controllable thing, but at the end of the day, like maybe you sacrifice some electricity for 45 command. And at the end of the day is 45 command worth sacrificing the electricity for, like, I don't know, 30 command just kind of, it makes my brain hurt because it's like, but you can get better at that. And it's like, can you? Yeah. Yes. And no, we kind of been waiting. Like he took a step forward last year, command wise. And we still, still saw five watch for nine. And it's yeah. a curveball strike rate of, which is his, his best pitch, a curveball strike rate of 47%. Yeah. It, it became a, it got to the point where it was an auto take opponents. And I always look at this with guys that have iffy command, look at the swing rate on, on their best pitch. It's yeah. usually spin 31% swing rate on the, on the curveball. It's an auto take. So yes, that pitch is fantastic. But the result of that is, yeah, no one hits it. That's fine. Opponents were four for 71 against it last year. It's a 056 batting average. That's great. But they also only chased it an 18% clip because it's, it was an auto take. And if you had to swing because it was two strikes, yeah, he'd get you to roll over or swing and miss and strike out. But there's just too many pitches that didn't have a chance. So you, you have that side of it. The changeup was was almost passable from a strike perspective, 55%, 14 inches of arm side movement. It's a really good pitch. He's got ways to get lefties and righties out. I, to me, he's kind of this opener that if he has one of those days where he's filling up the zone, you ride that hot hand. But if he's having one of those days where it doesn't look great, he tight ropes after one or two innings and you take him out. But it just seems like swingman is, is probably the most likely scenario here. Explosive electric stuff, really fun, but just not going to have good enough command to, to comfortably – you know, expect five, six innings for him, from him. You're just going to leave your bullpen exposed every fifth day. So I, I think it's a high leverage or swingman role, but so talented that you got to be excited about what he's going to potentially do at the big league level. If he can get even anywhere close to a four in the command, if he can get to a four in the command department, which is still below, you know, tick yeah. below average, he could be, he could be a really valuable swingman. But it's so it's so much fun having Gonzalez and Richard Fitz like lined up perfectly. <laughs> they couldn't be more opposite, which is the, the most fun part. And then you get another player who's probably somewhere in the middle, if that makes sense. Luis Perales is probably somewhere in the middle between a Richard Fitz and, and a Wilkeman Gonzalez. And that's why Perales just gets the nod above Wilkeman and also just gets a nod above both. Paralysis is good and fun and has a better chance to start, I think, than Gonzalez and probably uh, the stuff is obviously better than Fitz, but Fitz is a lot safer. Paralysis, it's one of the better, it's the best fastball in the system. Let me say that point blank. It's a 70 heater and it is ridiculous. He averages 21 inches of induced vertical break on the fastball. It, it looks like you, you said you put it best. When, when you texted me, you said when I sent you some videos of it, it looks like if you told somebody try to generate as much induced vertical break as possible. 
And, and it really is like that because it looks like he's a cricket thrower. So it's straight over the top and a little bit of a higher release, but it's straight over the top with just straight backspin. So he minimizes any horizontal movement, which can sometimes kill IVB and also just kill the perception of, of the carry. So it's a minimal horizontal movement, like four or five inches, 21 inches of ride. So it really plays up even more than that. And then it's at 95 miles an hour. So that's easily a plus plus heater. And if he ends up transitioning to a bullpen roll, if he's sitting 98 to 100 with that shape or 98, 99 with that shape, it's probably an 80 heater. But right now he's a starter. There's a lot of effort in the delivery. And I think it's part of like getting his body out of the way. Sometimes you'll see him pulling off with his front shoulder. I think just because he's so over the top to like get his body out of the way of his arm. But I mean, the fastball was just impossible for for hitters to, to to get on top of and just to hit. Period. He threw it sixty percent of the time, twenty nine percent in zone whiff rate, chase rate above thirty five percent, and opponents hit below two hundred against it. When you're throwing a fastball that much and opponents are struggling that badly, it shows you how good it is. That kind of shape, twenty one inches of vert at ninety five miles an hour. I mean, that that's going to be a problem for for any hitter at any level. So the vert doesn't like shock me watching a video of that. The vert doesn't shock me and the opponent lack of success doesn't shock me. The, the thing that truly like makes my jaw drop is the velo that comes from that slot. How is that anatomically possible to pump 95 from there, from that slot? And if you're just messing around in your backyard, go try it. Like come from directly over your head, just throw against a brick wall, throw into a pitch back, whatever. And you're going to throw from over your head. And it's like, oh yeah, that road. Like I saw that thing pretty much rise for sure. That's how that slot works. It's like, you're placing so much emphasis on what it does North South. And, and if the spin yeah, efficiency exactly, is just spinning insane. The crap Back out of spin. it instead of like spinning at a slight angle when you come from a three quarter slot. But the thing that you're also going to realize is like, that's not as hard as I throw from a three quarters. Cause like, I'm not letting it eat. I would understand it if it was 92, but like 95 with the chance for more, I don't understand how that's possible aside from just God's gift. Yeah, and it is. And he's $75,000 international free agent, just a great find by the Red Sox in 19. And he started throwing the slider more as the year progressed. Another guy that's going to need to hone in on the command a little bit more, 12.5% walk rate, but that was is a 20-year-old last season, and he turned 20 right at the start of the season. You're hoping you can continue to build on that command. The fastball command's good. The slider command got better as the season progressed. Throwing the slider more and cutting into that predictability of the fastball helped him a lot. And the slider has some good vertical like bite to it. So it works well off of the fastball, tunnels pretty well off of it. And then he started sprinkling in this cutter more frequently, and it just gave him a third look as well. He has this split change that also became a little bit more usable as the season progressed. That's going to be something to watch. But the slider alone, I think, really helped him just gaining more confidence with that and mixing in that cutter, though, is, was beneficial. He's not going to be a guy that's going to be able to rip breaking balls very well. He, he's just not going to be as much of a, a supernator. He's clearly a pronator. But, and that's why he's able to get so much vert. But this is a dude that will get away with 60-plus percent fastball usage. So the slider can come along, and then either the cutter or the change, I think the cutter looks really impressive and gave him a third speed in the upper 80s. Slider's more in the lower 80s. That might be enough to stick as a starter, maybe more of a five and dive guy, but those five could be 10 K's when he's on. And he did a good job of limiting the long ball for the most part for a high carry fastball guy, 10 bombs in 22 outings this past year. And that's, that's more than fine. 
only a 5% home run rate on that fastball when he's throwing it as much as he does, as high in the zone as he does. It's good stuff. And the command's a 40, not a 30. That's a big difference. And with a chance for a 45. That's that's all you need when you got that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yolene Cespedes. We will move off the position, but I love the offensive upside here. $1.4 million international free agent signing in 23. Clearly the Red Sox love the upside as well. That was back in January. Had a phenomenal professional debut. Some of the batted ball data was really intriguing. The swing, some moving parts, big leg kick, but he controls it so well. He's a very athletic hitter. He starts kind of pigeon-toed a little bit, and I think that's to help him when he gets into his big leg kick maintain balance on that back leg, and he does really, really well. He starts it early, and it's allowed him to, at 5'9", 180, tap into above-average power, especially for his age as an 18-year-old, 17, 18-year-old last year. I see the potential for above-average hit, above-average power. And this is a dude that could be a top 100 prospect by the middle of this coming season if he progresses the way that and I think he can. Very aggressive, but the field of hit helps and the impact helps. Decent runner, passable at shortstop for now. I, I do think he moves to second or maybe third base, which does you know, dock the value some. But I love the, the offensive upside here with Cespedes. He is not related to Ioannis or Uelke, Cespedes. This is its own right. Which makes it so much more confusing. Like, we wouldn't have just said it because his last name was Cespedes. The fact that it's also Yolene, like a, a right. Y-O, you thought they had to be related, but they're not. No, like it. you can go as far as Y-O-E Cespedes with all of them. And you would <laughs> think that, oh, okay, yeah, makes sense. No, not the case. He, he is his he is his own family. Um Yoelin Cespedes, yeah. Interesting. You think he's a second baseman? Probably. Could he play third? Like obviously he packs a punch. I, I think he can. And that's the thing. And if, if he can play third and a decent third, then that helps the profile a ton. I think it's a great question. I, I think for now, absolutely. It seems like he can. Yeah, there's just there's a huge difference for me personally in like shortstop prospects either moving to third base or second base. Like Noel V. Marte is like an eons better prospect than an Edwin Arroyo because they were fringy shortstops, but Noel V's gonna move to third base and hit for juice. Arroyo's gonna move to second base and be a contact speed guy. I know which one I want in 2024. Well, yeah, why, yeah. And that's why that's why Royals work so hard at the defense and, and it's come along to where some really like it, but it, the point stands where it's like, yeah, I, I, if I have a guy that's moving to third and can carry the profile, that's a lot more enticing than a guy that just is bat to ball and, and, and plays second base. It's just, you can find those guys all, you got chase Majroth or whatever, <laughs> like, like that guy can right. do that at second base pretty much. Right. Like, right. The the third base being able to carry that offensive profile. The most important thing is he can carry that that profile uh, offensively. And that's the thing to watch. A lot of the underlying data looks really good. Small sample size, but I like what I've seen so far. Really good contact on pitches outside of the zone, which is huge when you're aggressive. If you're aggressive, you got to make contact well above average outside the zone. We talked about that with Samuel Basayo the other day. This is another example. Guy's aggressive. A lot of contact outside the zone. That's great news for that kind of profile. Very early, but a name to watch that could end up, I think, becoming a top 100 prospect by the middle of the season. Talking about a big leaguer here now, too, and this is why we make our graduation, you know, our graduation thresholds a little bit 
lower than most because it's kind of hard to rank these guys. You'll notice you'll see a 55 future value for Yolene Cespedes, but then you'll see 50 plus future value for Will Urabreu. Proximity matters. Uh, safety matters. Risk matters. Cespedes, there's a wide range of outcomes. We haven't seen him above the complex. Definitely has more upside if it all comes together than a Will Urabreu. But Will Urabreu, I can guarantee, is a big league bat. And that's very important. And you don't get to do that very much on this show and, and in prospect rankings. Will your bray, you will be a big league bat. How good of a big league bat? That's what we're here to kind of talk about here. I think it's bulk platoon. It's good defense in the corners, can get by in center. One of the best arms, I think, in the league, which helps a ton. It's a plus-plus arm. So I have 40 slash 50 because they have him playing some center as well, and I, I think it's he's stretched in there. But he's a solid defender in, in a corner where I think it's closer to, to 55. Abreu is just a good player, man. I loved him when the trade went down. He might not be the fleetest of foot speed-wise, straightaway speed-wise, but he's sneaky on the base paths. He covers enough ground in the outfield. He crushes righties. He walks, and he hits the ball hard. Uh, he's going to be an everyday big leaguer this year and, and unless he you know forfeits the role because I know the Red Sox are very eager to, to give him plenty of playing time, and uh, he's earned it at every stop. It was a great get for them in that Christian Vasquez trade. So you mentioned that he crushes righties. He also holds his own against lefties. Like he wasn't that good in a limited big league sample, but he didn't surpass 100 plate appearances. That's why he's still on this list. When he was in Worcester, like it was great against right-handed pitching, but it was good against left-handed pitching. Um, Left-right splits in Worcester this past year against right-handers in Worcester, 83 games. This guy had a 968 OPS. 19 of his 22 homers came against right-handed pitching. But against lefties, 66 plate appearances, 258, had a 790 OPS. I, I'm going to pallet that. Like a 790 OPS in AAA, that guy gets a call up if he's doing that overall. But the fact that that is the worst split for him and by like 150 points, I'm bought in on him getting an everyday shot, especially because that is the short end of the platoon. Yeah. And, and I, love, I love the patience. The power is good. He gets into it by lifting the ball consistently. And the fact that he can even plug into center in an emergency is valuable. And the fact that his arm is is as good as it is, it's a really safe above average. I think average big league profile with the chance of being above average big leaguer, which is which they don't grow on trees, man. Number five, to get into the top five here, which is Miguel Blyce in just a moment. Before that, one more quick break. All right, not too much more to add on Miguel Blyce because he hardly played last year. Unfortunately, saw his season cut very, very short by a shoulder issue. This dude has crazy tools, man, and there's a reason why the Red Sox gave him $1.5 million in 2021. He has the potential for plus power, plus speed, can stick in center. This is somebody that people have shoved up rankings very high because they're very excited about him, but we have yet to just really – have the opportunity to see him consistently play to get that confirmation of the tools being able to translate to production. Big room for more strength. The swing, I think, needs some smoothing and some refinement. And it'll be interesting to see how he comes out, you know, th- this coming year. There's it's, it's a little bit of like that getting out of his base, a little bit armsy at times, but even then still hits the ball very hard. You're just dreaming on. 
I think what is a, a perennial all-star here, which is what makes him rank so high, despite the fact that you do have to do a lot of dreaming at this point because we haven't been provided with much reality just yet. Yeah, is he a center fielder or is he a corner? Like he could be a corner master, but if this pop is in center field, that's crazy. And like, no, he could play, he could play you, center. Okay, so I, I ask you so abruptly because like I don't know anything <laughs> about this guy. Like it's been the complex. It was thirty games in low A, and those thirty games in low A were not good, but it was also low A as an eighteen year old. Like there's nothing to know about Miguel Blyce just yet. No. Just that he can hit the ball hard already, uh, that when everything is kind of in sync, you can see what is really good. He hit a ball 110 miles an hour at the complex as a 17-year-old. When you have yeah. plus speed and you look at his frame, talk about projection there. He doesn't even need to add that much strength. He's just naturally going to get a little bit stronger, still be able to motor in center field. It, he's aggressive. There's things he needs to iron out, but. Yeah, it's just pure projection. And when it comes to projection, there's not a lot of guys at the lower levels that you can, you know, dream on more than Miguel Blais. And that's why he's going to be ranked so highly, despite minimal output compared to some other players, maybe ranked in that in that same threshold. What well, and it's a swing that you can watch on loop forever. You know, even like this clip in the article, it's it's pretty. It's he's a long kid that like really gets into it and you can see the massive evs in the swing oh yeah and it's just can he rein that in can he be shorter to the ball when it's inside can he be a little bit smoother those are all things that i'm i'm excited to see how that all comes along yeah number four a rare defensive highlight on the gifts if you're watching on youtube because i think this is one of the best catches i've ever seen Sedan Rafaela checks in at number four. Another big leaguer really showed well, I think, overall in his big league debut and phenomenal center fielder. Good shortstop. Another guy that, that they were probably better off plugging him into shortstop at points, but very, very aggressive hitter. Hedges that with a decent field to hit and above average EVs. He's going to be a player that, you know, I think will be frustrating at times, though, with how frequently he swings. Uh, the, the batting average and, and walk rates may not always be where you want them to be, but when he's hot, he's going to be really hot. And when he's cold, he's going to be defending the hell out of center field and maybe plugging in a shortstop. So you can pallet that. And he's also going to be stealing bags. So plus plus runner. He's an elite center fielder. I put him in the top five and in, in the minor leagues, it's him right behind Bradfield and, and PCA and maybe one or two other guys. And the fact that he can provide above average impact, I think, is what really sells me on, on Rafaela is the fact that, yes, the, the offense might be sporadic and frustrating. But when I'm getting that kind of defense, I'm getting that kind of value on the base paths, and I know he's going to run into potentially 20 home runs, I can deal with the, 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 the ups and downs that comes with an offensive profile like his. I love him. I, I love him, love him, love him. And there are two sides of the International League. There's the, the IL West, there's the IL East. And you talk to anybody in the IL West, the guy that stood out was Mason Wynn. And that was my side. You talk to anybody in the IL East, the guy that stood out was Sidon Rafaela. And he murdered AAA pitching. Oh. Spent the majority of the year in Portland. And like he was really good in Portland, 770 OPS. He hit 294, yada, yada. He, he goes up to AAA, 48 games, 14 home runs to go along with 13 doubles and three triples. So quick addition off the dome that's 30 extra base hits in 48 games. And oh, by the way, he hit 312 in that time. This guy, yeah. 
I mean, a, a, a possibly 75 grade defender and a 70 runner slugging 618 in a 50 game sample. Are you kidding me? And I understand so the AAA pitch is bad this year, but like, doesn't matter. No, and and I I think the fact that he did that at age 22 season and the fact that he did that despite swinging at like a 57% clip and a near 40% chase rate, he hits them on the air, which I love too. You're going to be aggressive. The contact might not be as consistent as you want to see it. When he connects, it's going to be in the air and he's going to hit some home runs. He's going to hit gappers and he's going to hit, like you mentioned, the extra base hits. So that part of it's important. If he can cut down the chase, that would really help overall. But usually to, to be as aggressive as he is and as fast as he is and not put the ball on the ground over 50% of the time, that's extremely encouraging. And that ground ball rate dwindled as the season progressed and he continued to just hit better as, as the season progressed. So I feel really good about him being a, a big league piece. Seems like a la Chris Taylor in some ways. Uh, there's like similarities to Kike before he forgot how to play shortstop. But I think there's a lot of similarities to Chris Taylor here. and. That's a fun player and a good player. I I wonder what the outfield alignment is going to be. Like Rafaela right now is not factored in when you go to Fangraphs roster resource. You got Jaron Duran in center. I understand it. Tyler O'Neill in left. Will your Abreu in right? Masataki Yoshida is the DH. Yeah, I assume Rafaela is going to be the fourth outfielder, and they're going to be on like a volleyball rotation where where everybody just kind of bounces around those yeah. spots. I'm I'm fascinated to to see what what they do there. Maybe he plugs in some days when they want to get story. Some rest is short. He's gonna the utility aspect's gonna be, I think, used a ton. But if you're not using Rafaela in center field pretty consistently, you're not getting the most value out of what he can give you as a player. Yes, there's a chance that he can swing it pretty well for you. Can give you above average power. He could hit enough as well, but not gonna walk. Uh, the 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 key main part of what he brings to the table is some of the best defensive ability that you're going to get in all of baseball uh, up the middle and center field and also plugging in a shortstop. So I, I do wonder if that's part of the reason why the Red Sox were, were maybe willing to you know, hear some, some offers on a Yoshida or to see what they're going to do with, with maybe one of the two left-handed hitters in, in the corners or I guess Duran in center for now, but Rafael, a big part of the value is, is his ability to defend in center and, I know there's some concerns about the offensive profile and risk and you know some some interesting underlying batted ball data, but he hits the ball hard. It's hard to deny the results, and there's not much else for him to prove in AAA. So this is going to be an important player to see how they maneuver and manage going into 24 because it'll probably be indicative of what their plans are. Maybe they try to convert him into pitching and move him. I know he's been floated in trade talks in the past uh, with with other teams, so that could be a possibility as well. Who would you rather have get the secondary shortstop reps, Grissom or Rafaela? Mm. I feel like I'd, at this point, I'd rather Grissom just just get second base action and just get, get used to second base. There. Yeah, yeah, and 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 I'd rather have Rafaela plugging in, you know, on days you want to give Trevor Story off there potentially. Yeah, that makes sense. Number three, we are into that top three range here, and Kyle Teal, who somehow, some way, slipped. To number 14th or number 14 overall yeah. in the 2023 draft. I, I, I just don't I just don't get it. I don't get it, but good for the Red Sox because I, they, the only thing that I can really figure out is like maybe there was some concern about 
oh, like his final year was really the year that stood out the most. And you know, is it, do we trust the the bat? You know, being what it was his final year at Virginia in pro ball, and yeah, I think you can. But beyond that, he's so good defensively that. I'm not even that worried about it, but on top of that, he, he he does swing the bat well. It's it's good, really good bat to ball skills. I think possibly a plus field to hit. The power, he's going to need to add some strength to be an average power hitter, but more than enough gap to gap, enough power to hit ten to fifteen home runs. He gets his a swing off consistently. I'll tell you that he swings hard. He's very wiry, so he could add plenty of strength. But he's so athletic behind the dish. He. Posts above average contact rates, I think, projects as a potentially plus hitter. And even if the the power is fringy, from the left side, with that kind of ability behind the dish, sign me up. Uh, Kyle Teal is one of the better catching prospects in the game already and could be up as soon as, I think, the start of 2025. Wouldn't even be shocked to be forced his way up by the end of this year. They don't have many good options going right now. What What's the tandem? Is it Connor Wong and Reese McGuire? Is that still yep, like... They're still rolling with that. Yeah, like I, Teal, <laughs> Teal's not being blockaded by anybody. I'll tell you that right now. Um, who is the profile most similar to right now offensively? Like, I, I think we hear plus hit tool catcher and you just immediately think Abby Moreno. I, I, I was, was going to say Moreno is probably the closest probably the closest right like i i'm trying to think of other guys because william Contreras has some juice has like more it's, juice than it's Teal. moreno and i honestly think it's one of the closer comps that you're going to get to trying to compare someone to moreno the difference is moreno had better evs but yeah. hit the ball on the ground too too frequently teal has lesser evs but hits the ball in the air more consistently i think that's it's pretty similar in terms of the type of catcher you're going to get here really good field to hit really good athleticism really good defense and developing power. Right. And like inflexible and bendy, like that's the new age of catcher. Teal looks like the new age of catcher. He doesn't look like Francisco Alvarez, who's kind of a throwback, like, Hey, bowling ball, you got all that going on and you're going to hit a bunch of homers and you're going to strike out a little bit. And the batting average is going to be low, but you're going to throw a bunch of base runners out and you're going to hit the ball over fences. Teal is an athlete that just happens to put on the gear. And I, I think that's probably the, the fun template that you look for in catchers right now, because, hey, guys like that are making catching sexy again. And yep. it did start with Real Muto, really. It's 26 professional games, 363, 40 to 495 slash. It's ridiculous. And, and that's while swinging his butt off. So I, he swings so hard, but makes contact at such a, a high rate that if he can just add some more physicality, I think it'd be really scary what, what he could do. If he if he has 20 home run pop in there, which I think is a stretch, but even if it's closer to 15, he's going to walk. He's going to put bat on ball. He's going to be a phenomenal defender. As you talk about that, that new wave of athletic catchers like Rio Muto and so many guys that we have I've now become so good. Uh, and Moreno being a perfect example of that too. Teal not only already looks like a, a blessing for the, the Red Sox to have fallen to their lap, I think he could be one of the better catching prospects and catcher prospects in the, in the sport. He already is one of the better. I think yeah. he'd be one of the best as some of these other top, top dogs graduate. Do you think we hit a new threshold with Raphael or with Teal? Oh, that's Teal. Teal. You think so? Yeah. I really think that Teal is is in that top 50 range. I think Raphael is kind of in that 75 range. Okay. So 
Yeah, I do think we kind of hit a new echelon with with Kyle Teal because of the position. The position really matters a lot too yeah, as a does. catcher with with his skill set. Makes sense. Number two, Marcelo Meyer, and and I think you can see some people that'll have Meyer ahead of Roman Anthony. Some people have Roman Anthony ahead of Meyer. We will be the latter here, but look, Meyer can be really really good. Battled a shoulder injury last year that. He tried to play through at the double A level reportedly. And I think that that definitely contributed to the frustrating output from him. But I also think that he has some offensive you know, things like some things with the swing that he needs to smooth out. It's a very loud barrel tip. And that barrel tip seemed to be a little bit difficult for him to, to time consistently uh, at, at points in, in double A. And pitchers were starting to run fastballs in on him, run breaking balls kind of down and in and back leg him some. And from that lens, it just seemed to be that his timing would be in between. I do think that, again, not having as much of that that explosiveness and that shoulder kind of bothering him probably affected him and didn't allow him to get away with that extreme barrel tip the way that he's been able to get away with it in the past. But I also think sometimes that the moves were inconsistent, the timing was inconsistent, and that resulted in a little bit of a wide range of, of contact quality. When everything was on time, I mean, that swing is silky smooth. You see in the video here, too. He can hit it hard to all fields. The The power really flashes plus to the pull side. And he was 20 years old last year. So, yeah, he struggled in double A as an injured 20-year-old. I'm not overly concerned about that. I am in, a little curious to see how that aggressive approach plays. He chases it about 35% of the time. And also... You know, the, the the timing and and some of the movements in the box resulting to some pretty bad numbers against high-end velocity and good breaking balls. Those are some things I just want to see ironed out a bit more in 2024. And now we can assess what was injury-related and what wasn't. Because I still do think that there were some things offensively that weren't injury-related that contributed to some of his struggles. Yeah, you you are probably the low man on his hit tool. And you're accounting for him being hurt, I think with the 35 present, but the 45 future is, is still probably the lowest grade that I've seen on the hit tool. What makes you think that it isn't like a 55, 60? Cause that was the word on him in the draft. It was like, Oh, this guy's like a 60 hit 55, 60 hit. He just looks so uncomfortable against breaking balls, especially quality ones. And then he just seemed like a guy that was caught in between fastballs that would tie him up and then he'd try to cheat and, and get going a little bit earlier and then breaking balls he'd be out on his front foot I, I do feel like a lot of times we get caught up in the high school narrative of this guy's a, a plus hit guy and then we don't adjust much professionally when we see you know some struggles or, or see some things professionally or or just see that the player might be a different template than what we were initially sold on or what we initially believed him to be like a termar because you'll get marcelo even in the years where he was doing really well a lot of the underlying batted ball data didn't point towards a plus hitter. We're talking about a guy that really struggled with, with secondary stuff in 22 uh, and, and still zone contact rate in 22 of 78% and overall contact rate uh, of just 67%. And that was in his good 2022 season. So I, I just, I think that the plus hit tool was kind of getting infatuated with the aesthetics of the swing and the story of the high schooler. And the reality is he's a six, three guy with some moving parts and some length, and he's just not going to be a plus hitter. But, but that's, I think it's a great question because I feel as though it's been used, that injury has been used as, as an excuse for the hit tool. I think it's, it's, it's uh, an explanation for the, the poor production at double A and definitely provides important context, but it's not like he was screaming plus hitter before that either. 
I, I think that the results were good, but I don't think that he was screaming plus hitter there either. Got you. Is he lead the league in doubles caliber? That's the thing that kind of jumps out to me. Like he's not a 25 homer guy. It doesn't seem at least. I think there's enough juice in there to potentially become a 25 homer. Like I see plus power potential. Um, I mean, he hits the ball hard. He posted a 112 last year, 90th percentile this past season, a 105, and that was injured. So I do think he can hit 2025, but I do think, yeah, when it all comes together, it's hard line drive doubles to all fields. Just, just, yeah. Really hitting the ball hard and going to spring out a little bit, though. So, yeah, I think I think it's probably good for him to to try to run into some more baseballs and, and hit the ball in the air a little bit more consistently. And guess what, man? Like they had a shortstop for the last decade that was lead the league in doubles. Like that's who he was. And Red Sox fans loved Xander Bogarts yeah. and they latched on to Bogarts. Offensively, it feels like the profile could be very similar to Xander yeah. Bogarts. Yeah, no, I, I think I think that's very, very possible. And and just one more note too, against breaking balls this past year, 103 batting average. Um like that's, that's not good. That's not good. Cru- crush change ups pretty well because again, he's able to, to, to keep his weight back, but it's just there's some path inconsistencies. That loud barrel tip, I'd like to see him smooth that out because when you gotta go up, down, up, and you're trying to sync it up with hitter or with pitchers that are purposefully trying to disrupt your timing. It's going to be it's going to be difficult. I think it's going to be power over hit when it's all said and done. And maybe it's 25 home runs and a ton of doubles and a fair amount of whiff. I think the big part, too, is the chase rate. And I think that's something that kind of gets underrated as well. Uh, It would help a lot if he could walk. What helps the most, though, fantastic defender at shortstop. It's it's easy. Plus, I think he might be better than that when it's all said and done. Because of his his arm, his actions, he's so smooth. The range is really good for a guy that's not the fleetest of foot. I think he's a very smooth and polished defender at shortstop, which is which is huge for the profile and takes a little a lot of pressure off the bat. And if he's power and defense from the left side, that's a good shortstop. Still, I love it. Number one, Roman Anthony gets the edge for us. 79th overall pick in 2022. So kind of comp was it comp B round for Roman Anthony? I think so. Um, Big dude. Confirm. Really athletic, really explosive. If it all comes together, it just seems like it's 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 more exciting and more impactful than than what you're going to get from Meyer. The ability to play center, I think, at a pretty good level. Plus power, maybe even a little bit more than plus power. A good feel to hit, and a really good approach. And that's that's the big thing for me. Anthony's approach really separates him too. 19 years old to finish the year last year in double A is, is remarkable. And in that cup of coffee in double A, just demolished baseballs. 10 games in double A, 343, 477, 543 slash on. That's 1,020 OPS. And we're not just chasing 10 game results here, but this is a guy doing that in center field that hits the ball. Pretty much the same EVs as Marcel Meyer. Better bat-to-ball skills. Much more patient approach. No, he's not the defender in center field that Meyer is at shortstop. But he's still a fine defender in center field, maybe above average. He hits the ball. I think it's as smooth, it's just as smooth of an operation, as clean of a swing. I don't know why the gifts aren't showing up. Sorry for those on YouTube. Uh, must have not saved. But the swing is just so smooth. The big thing for him was, can you get the ball in the air more. He cut the ground ball right down a decent bit in 2023. He still needs to cut it down some, you know, if he wants to consistently tap into power, but 
I think he's got it low enough because of how hard he hits the baseball that he can be extremely successful with the 48, 49% ground ball rate. We've seen guys that hit the ball really hard succeed that way with the patience, with the ability to, to, to hit, I think good, good breaking balls from time to time when guys miss their spot. That's going to be the big thing for him though. I think is, is can he continue to get acclimated against quality breaking balls? I saw flashes of him being able to get good swings off on those, but you saw the inexperience at times there too, but he never missed a fastball. Do you want to hear what this guy hit against four seamers this past year? Three, three eighty one, five Oh two, six thirty five slash line against four seam fastballs. If he can just get a little bit better with the break balls, he crushes the hangers if he can get a little bit better with, with overall numbers against breaking balls. I think this is one of the best prospects in baseball, period. He's already a top 20 prospect in baseball, but he could end up being a top five prospect if the offense continues to come along the way I think it can. Eduardo Rodriguez, his Tigers tenure resulted in the Red Sox getting Roman Anthony. Ah, wow. Detroit Tigers, and he was the comp pick for Eduardo Rodriguez fleeing Boston. Love that. Nice. Nice job. Great win by Heim Bloom. Um, yeah, man. I like you sent me, I guess the first Roman Anthony video I saw was April, maybe late April, early May. And it was just like, that's not a 19 year old swing. That's craziness. Um, he's fluid. He's, he's lanky, but athletic at the same time. He's such an easy outfielder to watch. And in the course of a year, he turned a, a project and, and like a super exciting hope into something that that may not be that far away. And you do that by producing it every single stop, every single day. And he did that like every single week he was putting up great numbers. Yeah. And, and that's why he's become one of the best prospects in, in the sport and looks like a, a perennial all-star. If it all comes together, the ability to stick in center is huge. And, and that walk rate is just what really separates him. I think you have similar, almost identical EVs to, to Marcelo Meyer. You have better contact rates. You have slightly less defense uh, or even you could say a grade less defense. If you, if, when it all comes together for, for Meyer at shortstop, that's fine. Anthony can run a little bit better. I, I'm going to take the younger, more projectable offensive profile still at a premium position and better bat to ball overall. So I, I can't wait to see what he does now in a full campaign at double a hard to teach those kind of swing decisions teammate of Kobe Mayo's at, at Stoneman Douglas as well. And another one of the you know, quickly ascending prospects in, in minor league baseball. I'm very, very excited about what the Red Sox have here in Roman Anthony, another player that's going to fit into their outfield plans in the next year and a half. So the Red Sox have a lot to sort out over this next year and change, but Roman Anthony will surely be one of those untouchables and a guy that'll be a big part of their plans moving forward. Any final thoughts on those guys before we call it an episode? Depth is a question, but I'll take those top four against a ton of organizations. I totally agree. And and with five being Blyce, a guy that could end up becoming right in, you know, right along with the top two guys that we talked about, if it all comes together. So you have that upside to you. You have plenty to be excited about in this Red Sox system. Very talented in the episode description has the full write-ups you can go check those out and if you have a moment to go check out the youtube subscribe that would be great as well as always thank you for listening look forward to talking prospects with you later this week
for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.